We are continuing in week three of our series, What We Believe. Today, Corey Schmidlkofer is teaching on what we believe about the Father. How are we doing today? Good, good. A few of you are doing good. Hello to everybody else. How are we doing today, Change Point? All right, good. Oh, man, happy Mother's Day. Um, I am so blessed by the women in my life. I have a mother. I have a stepmother. I have spiritual mothers. I have a wife who is my baby mother. Um, and, um, you know, I, I really just want to um, exhort my wife. Um, she is a beautiful woman, a lovely mother. She has displayed um, an example for my children to see um, and to be able to sit back and watch her um, be a mother to those children, um, to my children, is a huge blessing. Um, and so for all the mothers in this, in this room, um, we thank you. Um, we really thank you. It's kind of ironic today that I'll be um, preaching a message on God the Father um, because it is Mother's Day, but um, I'm excited about it. And so let's just open in prayer and we'll go from there. Father, we are so thankful that we can call you our Father. I feel like so often we overlook the fact that you have called us your children and that you have given us access and you have given us the right to call you our Father. And so, as I have sat in your presence for the last six and seven days, I know that what you have given me today is not my words. It's not my power. It's not my thought. It's, it's from you. And so knowing that, um, that you have a plan and a purpose, um, there is hopefully at least one and hopefully many people in this room today that are going to uh, hear from you. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified, that your son would be magnified. And that when we leave here today, we would have a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship with you as our Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week as I was preparing this message, um, I had some time to ask some friends of mine what it was about their earthly father that impacted their relationship with the heavenly father. And in one of these conversations, this is what my friend said to me. He said, so much of my identity as a child came from my earthly father. I remember always trying so hard to please him, and it was a constant pursuit that often left me feeling alone, ashamed, and not good enough. And to this day, I still struggle with these feelings of toxic shame and guilt that I will never be good enough and that I'm always going to fail the people around me, specifically my father. And I often feel like because of my relationship with my father that I'm going to fail my heavenly father. And he ends with this. My relationship with my father shaped so much of who I was and how I viewed God the father, ultimately leaving me with a skewed perception of who the father actually is. And I think that in one way or another that Every single one of us in this room can relate to that statement. 
A.W. Tozer says in his book titled Knowledge of the Holy, if we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think about the Father more clearly as he is. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so what I want to try to do today is leave here with a greater understanding of, of God the Father and who we are as his children and, and what our response should be to him as our children. And so the question that I want to try to answer today is this. Who is our Father? Our Heavenly Father, who is he? And as Tozer stated, this is one of the biggest questions that we can ask ourselves. Yet this is a question that few of us can really answer with biblical clarity and certainty. And I believe that the reason that it is so hard for us to identify with God as our Father is because so many of us have had fathers who let us down and fell short in so many areas. Even those who had great father figures growing up have a hard time seeing the creator of the universe as the father. And in one way or another, our earthly fathers at some point in our lives have let us down. But this is not the case with God the Father. God the Father is good. The old saying that we hear that gets kind of romanticized in Christian uh, culture is, is that God is good and all the time, God is good. I was looking for a response there, but that's all right. And so if the Father is not good all the time, then that is to say that there's really not a standard between right and wrong, that, that, that he can choose to be good in certain times and not in other times, and if that was the case, then he would not be God. Our whole, look, our whole outlook of God as Father would be changed if we believed that he was always good. And in Hebrews 12.10, it says that the Father disciplines us for our good. And again, Joseph's brothers, they, they sell him into slavery. And Joseph says in Genesis 50.20, he says about his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, God is good all the time. All the time. Even in his wrath, he is good. And the cross of Christ displays this beautifully. All of the wrath of the Father was poured out on Christ on the cross. And we celebrate this day today. And we call it Good Friday. We call it Good Friday because even in the pouring out of his wrath, he is good. You see, the reason that we cannot fully understand God as our Father is because no matter how good our earthly fathers were, still sin stood between our earthly fathers and the perfection of our Heavenly Father. And in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, it says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Father is good, and he desires to lavish upon us goodness. Now, I can sit here and think of great memories with my Father. I mean, really great memories. Times where he would take me fishing, and when I caught fish, he would make me feel like I was the greatest fisherman in the world. 
times when, when he would lay with me on the couch and he would hold me and he would comfort me and he would make me feel safe. There's times with my father where we would play this game where I would walk on his back and, and it was called alligator and he would start moving around and shaking and I would try to stand up. My father was a great father. But still, he let me down. I felt as if I failed him, and I always felt like I had to earn the love of him. Not because he was a bad father, but because he was imperfect. But this is not the case with God the Father. God the Father is perfect. The goodness of the Father is perfect. It is unfailing. We have thousands of years of history that prove the goodness of the Father. And there are thousands of testimonies in this room right now that confirm the same thought. God is good. He has gifted us with gifts that can't ever be repaid. He will never fail us. He will never let us down. We no longer have to live in the toxic shame or the falling short because he knows that we will fall short. And we cannot and do not have to earn his love for Christ earned his love for us. But we ask ourselves and we question ourselves all the time, right, about the goodness of God. What about all the bad things that happen? What about the pain that I feel? What about all the things that happened to me when I was a child? Why did my wife leave me? Why did my father pass away? Why is my husband gone? How can a good and loving father who is sovereign over all things allow these things to happen to me? And you see, suffering and the sovereignty of God are a part of the mysteries of God. And despite our limited and finite wisdom, the Father is infinitely full of wisdom. And in order for us to understand the infinite wisdom of the Father, it's important to start with the definition. And John Piper says it like this, and this is perfect. He says, wisdom is knowing what the greatest good is in any situation and what the best way is to achieve that good. Let me say that again. Wisdom is knowing what the greatest good is in any situation and what the best way is to achieve that good. Because the Father is all-knowing, knowing everything that happened, has happened, and will happen, he must be infinitely wise. If he does not know what would be great, the greatest good in my life, in my situations, then he could not be God. But he does know the greatest good. And Romans 8.28 says that we know for that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, what this verse is really saying is that the Father and all his goodness and all his purposes and all his plans and his infinite wisdom works all things together for good because he knows the greatest good in every situation and he knows what the best way is to achieve that good. You see, the Father has promised that everything in our lives, even our suffering, will be used for good. All through the Bible, we see the Father uses suffering in the lives of his children to bring forth good. I mean, we see it in the life, the life of Job and, and Joseph and David and Jesus and Paul and Peter. This is a list of people in the Bible that can go on and on. This is why Scripture says to give God thanks in all things. 
Since God has promised that all things work together for good, and in Psalm 34.10 it says that God has promised to those who seek the Lord that they will lack no good thing, then we have good reason to give God thanks in good times and in seemingly bad times. For the Father is more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort. And the Father is more concerned with our holiness than he is with our happiness. And this is why, whether life is good or seemingly bad, that it's always good because God is good and he knows what we need and he knows what is best for us and he knows how to bring forth the greatest good in our lives. You see, God is good and he is infinitely wise and he will not fail. Tolian Chavichin says this about the suffering of Job and the sovereign goodness of God. He says, the sovereignty of God became Job's pillow where he could rest his weary head. Job wasn't looking for an explanation. He wasn't putting his hope or comfort in something as small as an explanation. He didn't get it, and he was paralyzed, but he trusted in the goodness and wisdom of God. He had a deep, abiding belief that God was in control and was in charge of everything. And Tolian closes with this. All things have been perfectly planned by God. The Father does not sleep in your moment of calamity. He is not sleeping through your grief. Knowing that the Father in nature is good and that he has the greatest good in mind. This is truth, and I believe this is is truth. And so this is a pillow that I can lay my head upon. And in the words of Jeff Schulte, I can sleep at night because I know that God does not. I can sleep at night because I know that God does not. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord. He is abundant in power. His wisdom is infinite. The Father is good, and he knows what is best for us. Listen, if he is not good, and if he does not know what is best for us, then he would not be God, but he does. And because of our limited wisdom and our finite minds, the limited, infinite wisdom of the Father is so great, and I feel it fitting to end this topic the same way that Paul ends in Romans 11, where the words scream off of the paper, and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways and how inscrutable his judgments. Hmm. Man. That's... Everybody say slow down, Corey. I'm going to take that from Pastor Greg real quick. Everybody say slow down, Corey. Okay, one of the most divine mysteries of the Father is the relationship between his holiness and righteous requirement of perfection and his grace that he extends towards sinners who are unholy. You see, the Father is the creator. He is the provider. He is the righteous and just judge. The holiness and righteous requirement of the Father demands perfection. And because sin entered the world... We have all, every single one of us, fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the Father is an infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator who created all things for his glory. 
And you and I have belittled that. We've belittled his name. We've belittled his glory. Every one of us at one time or another or are currently believing that our, our way is better than his way. We fail to acknowledge him and give him glory for the gifts and the provisions that he has given us. While at the same time doing this with the brain that he has given us and hold together. And the breath that he has given us to breathe with. And this right here is the great blasphemy of the universe. That we have belittled God the Father. And God being just, right, and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. And in Psalm 53 through 6, it says, Our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth below that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 58, 11 says, Surely there is a God who judges on earth. And finally, Psalm 75, 7 says, But it is God who executes this judgment. And so what is the point of all of this? Why is it important to understand attributes such as the holiness, the justice, the jealousy, the judgment, and the wrath of the Father? And it's because as much as we want to ignore these attributes, they are still a part of who the Father is. You see, I only read a few of hundreds of scriptures and passages that reveal the Father as a just and righteous, jealous God who demands righteousness, holiness, and perfection. These characteristics are as much as a part of the character of the Father as is the love of the Father. And understand this. That if we do not have a correct understanding of the holiness, the magnitude, the glory, the splendor, the array, the severity, the just judgment of the Father, then we will never fully understand the beauty and the need of the cross. See, God is good, and in his infinite wisdom, he knows what is best for us. But we have chose to rebel against the Father, despite his goodness. Therefore, he brings forth justice. But why? Why is he even involved in our lives? Why is he transcendent in nature? Why is he present? Why does he even care? The answer is because he loves us. It's because he loves us. And all the Father's goodness and his infinitude and his glory and the splendor and the love and all of it, the love of the Father is surely the hardest to comprehend. People say that they don't understand how a loving and good God would allow so much evil in the world. And my response to this, my worship in this, is that I don't understand how the Father could love me when there was so much evil in my heart. You see, we have done a great disservice to the expression of love. We love tacos and chocolate. We love water parks and fast cars. I love steak, medium rare. I do. Oh, man, but 
such a disservice to love. You see, the things that are actually deserving of genuine love, we love them not. Covenant marriages have been broken. Children have been abandoned. Families have been torn apart. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I'm on this list. I'm just saying this as as fallen men, we reflect an imperfect love. But the love of the Father is perfect. Again, Tozer talks of the love of the Father and he says this. He says, all Christians have tried to speak of the love of the Father and none have ever done it very well. I can no more do justice to this awesome and wonder-filled theme than a child can reach for a star. Still, by reaching towards that star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. So as I stretch my heart toward the high and shining love of the Father, my hope is is that someone who has not before known about it may be encouraged to look up and have hope. 1 John 3.1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Again, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, John writes, In this the love of God was made known to us, that God sent his Son into the world to live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Do you see what kind of love the Father has towards us? His love was made known to us by sending his son 2,000 years ago before anybody in this room ever did a single thing. Before, before we ever did anything, God loved us. This love is not circumstantial. The love of the Father is not dependent on you and your love for him. You see, we love with an imperfect love. Our love is based off of emotions and conditions. I love you because you do fill in the blank. And that's the love we love with. But this is not how the Father loves us. And that's why it's so hard to understand the perfect love of the Father. In the verses that I just read, the the word used for love in the Greek is the word agape. And Paul ends, writes this on the meaning of agape. He says, agape love denotes a reasoned out love rather than an emotionally based love, but is not devoid of emotion. A love that loves the object irrespective of the worth of the object. And even though the object or even though the love may not be reciprocated. He loves us because he loves us, because he loves us, not because of what we can give to him. This is the kind of love that the Father loves us with. It is a perfect love. It is an unfailing love. It is an unearned love. It is a love that is unfathomable. It is a love that cannot be lost because we fail. It is a love that is not gained. It is a love that was extended to us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, and while we had nothing to offer. You see, when I first went to treatment five years ago, 
Um, I'm re- I remember thinking to myself, and I'm sure people can relate to this, uh, how can God love me? All the bad things that I've done in my life, all the sin, all the hurt, all the pain, all the times when people told me that I would never be anything, all the people that I hurt. What, was, what would this God want to do with me? And I was there, and a guy told me this. He said, man, start reading through the book of Romans. And I started reading through the book of Romans, and I didn't understand any of it. I mean, I was clueless. I was so lost. It, all this talk about Jews and Greeks and law and righteousness, and I was clueless. But then it happened. Then it happened. I got to Romans 5.8, and it says, God shows his love for us. And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Wait a minute. Because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You mean that Christ died for me? You mean that God loves me? He doesn't hate me for all the things I've done. And it all began to make sense. You see, if there was nothing else that I understood throughout the whole book of Romans, if there was nothing else that I ever understood again, it was this, that God loves me. That God loves me. He is my Father. He wants me. He chased me. He pursued me. And this is why C.S. Lewis says that he's the hound of heaven. Because he chases us. And he loves us despite our sin. He is my Father. He loved me with a fatherly love that I had never experienced before. He is our Father. He's our Father which makes you and I brothers and sisters in a real relationship, covenant relationship. He's our Father. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that He would give His only Son, that we would be called children. He is our Father, and we are His children. And so often we think that the way that we respond to the Father is through obedience. Right? It's this idea that if, if I obey, then I will be accepted. And Matt Chandler says this so good. He puts it like this. He says, in religion, if there was a mantra, if there was a base element, it was this. that There's this code to be followed. There is this morality to ascribe to. There are these things that I have to do. And if I do them, then God will be pleased with me. And if I do not do them, then God will not be pleased with me. So I obey, therefore I am accepted. So as long as I do what's right and avoid what's wrong, then God will be pleased with me. Let me tell you the truth. That this idea of thinking could not be farther from the truth. Chandler goes on to say this. He says, the mantra of religion is that I obey, therefore I am accepted. Where the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. You see, obedience must flow out of our identity, or else it's just religion. It's just duty. It's legalism. And so what we tend to do is we live life by the list, right? We say, well, God is first in my life, and, and then my wife, and, and, and my girlfriend, and my children, and my work, and my friends, and my ministry, and I check each one as I go down the list. But listen, this is not how the Father intended life to be lived. You can see on the image up behind me now that the Father wants to be the center of our lives. He wants to be in covenantal relationship. He wants to fuel and guide and empower. He wants to be seen in my marriage. 
He wants to be seen in the way I raise my children. He wants to be seen in my work, my friendships, and my ministry. The Father wants to be glorified in all areas of my life. And the amazing thing about this list is that we never mention ourselves on the list. (laughs) And we all know that at certain times in our life that even ourselves trump God. And we become number one on that list. But the point is is that, that the Father would be glorified in all that we do, that he would be the center of our lives. The Father is looking to enter into a relationship with us today, to share himself, to be known, to be enjoyed, to stand alongside, to walk with us through the gardens of life. You see, the Father's covenant that has been extended to us is is one of the most fundamental concepts of all of Scripture. And the word covenant itself literally means to become one with. Literally, God wants to become one with us. God's desire is that when anyone looks at us, that they would see him. Right? This covenant is grounded in the person of the Father, and he initiates a new identity in us. I think that Jesus' baptism is a perfect example of this. In Matthew 3, 13 through 17, it says that Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen, before Jesus ever did a single good thing, before he ever performed a single miracle, The Father was well pleased with him. And the same is true for us. Before we can ever respond in obedience to the Father, he must call us into relationship with himself and give us a new identity. And out of our identity, we would then respond with obedience. You see, obedience is just an outward expression of of a new identity that has been given to us through an intimate relationship with the Father. Within the covenantal relationship with the Father, we discover more and more of who the person is of the Father and and what it is that that our identity should be as it derives from who He is. You see, for so long I listened to the lies of the enemy. I was drawing my identity from society and and my family and friends, and and it killed me. See, the stress was unbearable. I could not live up to the standard that was placed on me, and the standard wasn't even that high. But I just couldn't do it. And the reason was is because I had no idea who I was. I had no idea how to perform and live up to the expectations. But all of this changed when I received a new identity. I received a new name. I was no longer a failure. I was no longer a screw-up. I was no longer an addict. I was a child of God. I was forgiven. I was redeemed. I was loved unconditionally. And when I knew what my identity was, everything changed. You see, our response to the Father from the beginning is and has always been to walk in relationship with him, bearing his image, displaying his grace, and walking in his love. 
We see our response is to walk in real, genuine relationship with the Father. And that relationship starts with knowing Him. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus reveals his relationship with the Heavenly Father. Then he invites us in to share the same exact relationship that he has with the Father. He gives us that. He gives us that. And it's so important to realize that the the covenant begins with the Father. He gives us our identity. But it's so easy to make this about religion. That God has, but, but God has placed his fingerprints all over us. He's placed his fingerprints. He's made us in his image to display his goodness to the world. He breathed breath into our nostrils. We are made in his image. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Therefore, our response, uh, Lee, you, you can bring your team up. Our response to this new identity is to walk in obedience. Drawing our identity from him, then responding in obedience to him. Knowing that it is through obedience that we can walk in the fullness of life. For the commandments of God are not a list of rules and regulations. They are gracious provisions and expressions of his goodness, his wisdom, and his love. You see, he knows what is best for us. Therefore, he has given us commandments or boundaries to walk in, knowing that if we walk in them, we will experience life. It's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's not about stipulations. A good friend of mine, Phil LaBeouf, he said this to me once. He said, the commandments of God are an expression of his nature. The Father does not command us to be what he is not. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. He commands us to display his image, to be image bearers. Therefore, the commandments of God are no longer lists and rules and regulations, but they're gracious provisions of protection. Listen, we have been raised in a culture that has made life about being good enough. It's made life about what I can do. But this is not about our goodness. This is about the goodness of the Father. The Father is good. The Father is infinite in wisdom. The Father is just and loves justice. And the Father loves you. Draw your identity from this. Draw your identity from this. That He loved you so much that you would be called His child. And out of knowing that you are a child of God, you will experience life. Because you see, life is about living out of our identity. It's not about living for our identity. Know who the Father is. Know who He is. Because it's from the Father that we receive our identity. And as we begin to understand who He is... We can then reflect his nature, and the result is that we will naturally walk in obedience to him. And in that, there's life. Let us pray. Father, I'm so thankful that 
that you have called me your child. I'm so thankful that you know my name. <laughs> so thankful that you know my name, that you know every single hair that is on my head. That you are mindful of me, that you are mindful of us, Father. And so as our Father and us as your children, let us know that in this room today that we are brothers and sisters. That we are your children. That you are good. That you are full of wisdom. And that you know what's best for us. And that we would trust you and love you and walk in that, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus. For we know that in your holiness, that you demand perfection, but we cannot be perfect. Therefore, Jesus was perfect on our behalf. And for that, we are so thankful. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name.